In episode six, we heard Mike, the federal government behavioral detection specialist, analyzing Lauren Herzog's behavior and reactions to questions raised in his interviews on November 20th, 1998. And then we heard the first part of his interview on February 1st, 1999. We will start this episode with the second part of Lauren's February 1st, 1999 interview which is being conducted by San Joaquin County Sheriff's Detective Tony Cruz and Deborah Scheffel. Just to recap, Herzog is wearing a black top under a plain black hoodie. On his head, he's wearing a black baseball cap, which is now turned backwards. Help me. That's all I'm asking is help. Put it right here. What did Wes tell you about the Chevy Wheeler case back then? That he buried a body on his parents' property? Where? On the property. I think it's under the old cabin thing. At 1724-23, the interrogator asked, what did Wes tell you about the case? That he buried a body on his parents' property. Where? Delayed response. He's thinking... I have to give a good response for this, one that's acceptable to them. It's another deception indicator, and he does these a lot. He's thinking of a good answer to tell them. Then he says, I think it's under the old cabin thing. That's an evasive and vague question, another sign of deception. He does, you know, the old cabin thing. What, what is that? So it's, it's evasive and vague. He's not giving any real, real details about it. Under the old cabin. You've been up there since then, haven't you? Well, no, wait a minute. It could be under it. The cabin was there. It's been a long time. And like I said, I tried to forget it. Or let it go. How am I? At 1724-43, inconsistent and irrelevant answer. Now, wait a minute, he says, in regards to the same question about the cabin. It couldn't be there because the cabin was there. Now... That's not consistent with what he just said. It's under the old cabin thing. And then he says, wait, the cabin wasn't there. So he's kind of flip-flopping his information right there. And it's kind of uh, inconsistent or irrelevant. He said something like, I guess there was, I don't know, there was blood in the bottom of the wood floor cabin or whatever. And he... I don't remember who the hell said or seen or whatever, how he was doing exactly. He said it was from a deer. He got a deer in there, skinned out a deer in there, you know? Did he show you the blood? No. Okay. Well, I'm a little confused now. All right? At 
and this is just an observation of mine, a stress indicator. He appears to wipe perspiration from his forehead, uh, excessive perspiration, uh, sign of stress, and it can also be coupled with other cues, a sign of deception. But that's just something you can uh, observe that when he wipes that sweat away from his forehead. Tell me what he told you about Chevy Wheeler. Twenty-five, twenty-five. The interger- interrogator says, "Tell me what he told you about Chevy Wheeler." He's got a delayed response. Then he licks his lips, and he says, "Sorry, I can't get it out." Then he laughs about it. So right there, he's got deception indicator. He's got another deception indicator of licking his lips. His mouth is going dry. He's stressed. He can't get it out, and he laughs. Another cover, another cover for him to relieve the stress. I'm going to laugh and relieve some of the stress because I'm really getting stressful, and he's being deceptive at the same time. So, at seven fifty-eight oh nine, what the interrogator asked him: What worries you the most, Lauren? And he says, his answer is all of it. And he laughs again. Another way to to relieve stress, another way to, you know, change the direction of the, of the conversation because he's laughing. So it's really not, he's not feeling threatened. So I'm just going to laugh about it. Sure what he said. What worries you the most? The law getting to you or Wes getting to you and your family? because of what he knows. Okay, then let me tell you this. We do not, we are fact gatherers, like I told you before. But what we do is we work with the district attorney. Well, that's not the way I mean it either. I'm taking up West in custody most of the time. Because that's what I can put out like it. Everything has to go in certain procedures. Yeah. Okay. The state laws that protect you protect him. Are you worried about it from a legal stand, stand but that you would get in trouble with the law, that he would snitch you off because you would get in trouble? Are you worried about that? Or are you worried about Wes doing something to you or your family? What worries you the most, Lauren? All of it. Equally? Nah. <laughs> At 1758-21, the interrogator asks again, what worries you the most? The law getting to you or West getting to you and your family? He leans forward, strokes the knob of his chin, and then has a delayed response. Now, the leaning forward part 
and the stroking of his chin is a submission clause. A submission clause is, you know, he wants, you know, he wants to say what's on his mind, but the interrogators don't go, like I said earlier, they don't go down these holes that he's showing because as we said, as you asked me earlier, then maybe they didn't know what it meant. So if they had, they might've, you know, got them to talk a little more about these things. But, you know, at that point, usually going to the knob of the chin, submission, it can be uh, observed as pre-confession, but he stopped right there. The same laws that protect you protect him. Had West not wanted to involve his old-time friend Lauren in this, he would have just said, you know what, I uh, went over to a friend's house in East Stockton, and when I was on my way home back through Linden, I noticed my old buddy Lauren working on his bike. He wanted to go this way, and he wasn't going that way. And at 1806.45, had Wes, the interrogator asked, had Wes not wanted to involve his old friend Lauren, his shoulders were higher toward the interrogator again, and he crosses his arms. Basically, both of them, I don't want to talk about that. It's a blocking behavior, crossing your arms, basically says, I'm done. The interview continues with Jerry Herzog, Lauren's father, joining the conversation. You can hear the detectives telling Jerry what has been discussed during Lauren's interview and his response. We've talked to Lauren today, and it's Wes basically saying that Lauren was with him from the time the bar closed until they were seen together by all kinds of people the next day. So Wes Shermantine is saying that Lauren Herzog and he... I'm not going to let Wes drag me in this. No, I, I'm just... I'm, the three people that said that. Uh-huh. I'm just telling you that this is... If it were up to Wes, this is what Wes is saying, that he and Lauren are together. My investigation has shown that what Lauren says is true, that they were not together the entire time, that there is a small period of time there that there are two other people who corroborate Lauren's statement that he was working on his bike for at least part of that time. But by Lauren's own words, the remainder of the morning, from the time that they they do hook up again together, they are together. Now, whether or not Lauren is together with Wes and what happened to that young woman still remains to be seen, and we don't know at this point. But by their own words, they are together. And what Lauren also told us today, because we asked him, is... Does Wes have something over you? And Lauren says that he does. And we've encouraged him to share that with you, even though he is not choosing to, to share that with us. And when and I told you all, I'll be the first one to give him up if I find out he's involved in this. Okay. But like I said, I well, put my life on the line right now. I'm not, he's not. I'm not particularly saying this particular instance. They're talking about he's been childhood friends with Wes, and there's a lot of stuff that kids get into, and whether that's somewhere in the past, something happened, and he's holding that over you. I think the kids stuff went out a long time ago. It's okay, grown well, up stuff now, and we haven't, we don't see Wes that much, 
he'll be he'll disappear for six months or more and then he'll right. he'll stop by and cause you, all kinds of trouble lauren you need to tell your dad about chevelle wheeler because at some point it's going to be out there you need to tell him about chevelle wheeler you will have heard some long pauses during herzog's interviews and you will hear more as we go on some are as long as 10 seconds here is Mike talking about these long silences and what they mean. Yeah, and it's funny when when Wes is, whenever I tell, whenever I point out these delayed responses that uh, Lauren has, I mean, some of them go up to 10 seconds, and I'll get to those. But what is good for the listeners to experience is look at a stopwatch on your phone and watch those 10 seconds count down and how long it is for him to come up with an answer on some of these questions. It's pretty amazing. You'll be like, wow, he's really thinking about this. Both Wesley Shermantine and Lauren Herzog were arrested and charged later on March 17, 1999. This is Herzog's interview on that date. Herzog is sat in the corner of a police interview room. He's wearing a light-collared, button-up shirt with no collar, under a black bomber-style jacket with a badge on the left breast. He has a black baseball cap on that has a gold logo on it. He is being interviewed by Joe Herrera, and later in the interview, you can hear Tony Cruz. There's a lot of things in this investigation that we have come to understand through statements and through physical evidence that we feel that there's more than sufficient enough cause to be able to arrest you. And we could arrest you right now. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. That's not a pretend statement. That's not a phony statement. The thing is, is that, is that the district attorney has asked us to go ahead and, and and wait until all the results of the blood that was recovered in West Shermantine's car to be totally analyzed. And we're abiding by that at this point in time because it was recommended, okay? Cindy's been missing for, Cindy Banneret has been missing for quite, for quite some time. And you've spoken with Detective Shuffle, you've spoken with a few other people and have provided several different statements. Some of which we know to be true and some of it we know not to be true. At 1747-13, interrogator telling Lauren he has supplied several different statements in prior interviews. He gives a small chuckle. Again, it's a stress reliever. He wants to erase that part of the conversation. You know, he wants to make the interrogator forget about it. Now, this is the this is the subject thinking he can make the interrogator think about it. If I just laugh it off, they'll just go in a different direction. It's kind of funny to listen to that and how they think that this is going to change the way the questioning is going to go. She not went back to go back to her car. She said that several times, you know. West wasn't going that way. I'm still on the back seat and say something to the rip going 
I'm good. Well, he started telling him to do stuff, you know, and, and it's kind of a back and forth argument kind of thing. And I mean, do stuff as in uh, sexual act, I guess is what you thought. And he's getting wilder and wilder and wound up more and more. And I told him at one point, West, don't kill her, man. Take her back to her car. At 1753-27, he said to West, don't kill her. Just take her back to the car. This is what Lauren said. He said to West, don't kill her. Just take her back to the car. When he's saying this to the interrogator, he has little or no eye contact with her. Kind of gazing down, looking off to the side. Exception indicator right there. He doesn't want to look at the interrogator when he's saying this because he probably didn't say this. So it's a deception indicator. And it's, again, something that could have probably gone down a little more into detail with that. Oh my God, the car. I started backing up. He turned and looked at me one time and I was gone. I didn't know what to do. It's hard to explain. I don't want to remember. 1756-26. He says, it's hard to explain. I don't want to remember. Meaning, when Wes was in the process of assaulting, sexually assaulting her, and eventually murdering her. He says, it's hard to explain. I don't want to remember explaining what happened to her. He doesn't want to remember. That's just, you know, another memory lapse. He doesn't want to say it. I don't want to remember. I don't want to remember. I don't want to remember. I don't want, you know, I just, it's too hard for me. I don't want to implicate myself. He was, you know, like, on top of her, like, trying to hold her down, you know? And I guess Miss Victoria, I can remember, he's just like a natural. At 1756-47, explaining that he was on top of her, Wes was on top of her, he clears his throat. Now, throat clearing is a sign of deception because you don't know, you don't like what you just said, so you want to erase it. It's called erasure. So he's explaining that it was on top of her, and maybe he didn't want to say that, but he did, so he clears his throat. And he's like, I want to forget I just said that. At 1756.50, okay, it's one of my favorites. And uh, Shane will know about this. Another, another instance of memory reanimation. Now, when he's explaining that Wes is hitting and striking her, he's making the motion. He's making these small motions of striking her. I think with the back of his hand and then almost a punching motion with his hands. Now he's saying West did this. Usually 
the person that did the crime or took part in the crime did this. So with that, you'll see him explaining what Wes was doing to her, but he's making the motion. This is my opinion that he was there actually doing it. He wasn't just standing on the sidelines watching all this stuff. Also, he's rubbing and wringing his hands together because he's under stress when he's explaining this. So that one's very important to me. My opinion, I think he was involved with that whole assault when he's saying it was all Wes. I think he did it, you know, at that point. I guess he was dying, you know? That's what he told her. That's what he told her? Yeah. Seventeen fifty-seven oh six. He's got increased breathing. He even states, "I can't breathe." Behavior cluster: increased breathing and rubbing and wringing of hands. In that same subject, when he's describing what Wes was doing to her, right there, stress, increased breathing can be a sign of deception in conjunction with stress indicators. So, right there, behavior cluster again. Sure sign of deception. 1757-18, when he's describing what he said to her, Wes said, I mean, yeah, Wes said to her, just let it come natural, I guess, as he was killing her. He's rocking back and forth. He's got increased breathing. Another stress cluster could be deception, but probably a heavy stress remembering this this event that happened. And then what happened, Lauren? He kind of started going around and he opened his trunk. Started trying to get me to do this and that and I wouldn't do it. I thought, no way. He took the blanket out of his trunk and wrapped it up, put it in the trunk. So at 1757-34, the interrogator asks, and what happened? He covers his face with both hands, and that's a covering gesture. He doesn't want to talk about it. 1757-46, he states he started going around to his trunk. He's got a hot swallow at that point. A hot swallow is like the Adam's apple, like you're trying to swallow something a sign of deception so he stated he was going around to the trunk of the car and you'll see him do that it's a hard swallow it's a sign of deception I almost don't even know where I was I mean I know I was there but my mind was just gone I was just sitting there comatose felt like I wanted to wake up and I couldn't believe what I was seeing and you know it's too much 1758.50, he's stating he didn't feel like he was there. He was comatose. When he's saying that, again, his shoulders slump forward and his chin drops to his chest. And that right there is called a body cascade. Now, a body cascade is when you're in a state of submission, you know. Um, 
he's just basically given up. You know, he was in a coma. I don't even feel like I was there. And you'll see his shoulders slump forward and his chin drop. It's called a body cascade. And you'll see how everything just comes down. His chin to his chest and his shoulders. Pretty interesting to watch. The scenario that you just told us, is that the truth? Is that? Yeah. Is that what actually happened? Yeah. That's what happened. Because I know you've told some different stories in the past. And you saw him kill her, is that correct? Thankfully, I mean, I, I didn't just, I, I wasn't watching, I watched again, and I was like. 180238, he asked, is, is the interrogator asked, is that what happened? He states, I watched, I wasn't watching, and I watched again. Now, that doesn't even make sense. It's being a basin vague. He's not given any real information. It's kind of vague and irrelevant. I watched. I wasn't watching, and I watched again. Very confusing, confusing information. Sign of deception, evasive and vague as always. When you first met Cindy, did you plan on kill, killing her or oh, having her killed or playing any part in her being killed? No way. You did not? Okay. No That's part of the truth, okay? You had no knowledge of what was going to happen, or did you? No. Okay. And even if you did, and if it's too late or too far into it, if you did not actively participate as you described earlier, then it's still the truth and the same story. If something happened and it's out of your control, then it's out of your control. But you need to explain that. Did she say anything to you? Mike mentions Kathy here. This is an error, and he meant Cindy. 1835-29, asked when you first met Kathy, did you plan on having her killed? No way, he says. He moves away from the interrogator, rubs and wrings his hands, gazes down, and it's another behavior to cluster of stress and deception. So that one's very highly likelihood of deception with all those indicators lumped together. So that's another interesting to wa- interesting one to watch at 1835-29. she say anything to you? Yeah, a couple times. And what was that? Uh, she used to call me Slam. She said, Slam, do something. And I said, hey. I think that's all right. Don't, uh, don't test him. Okay. So, at what? Don't test him. Have you ever tried to fight him yourself? Yeah, I was in kindergarten. And but how about now? Do you think you can take him? No. That's my problem, I guess, because I don't think I can take him. She tried to bargain with him, more or less. Kind of a, you know, please let me go, and I you know. I don't know if it was trying to talk, but maybe she just had calmed down if they tried to talk to him. I don't know if she was trying to calm him down or not. What was his reaction? Was I guess it wasn't a trying to calm him down. It was, and then she was, and then she started screaming again. She was talking to calm though for a minute. Then she started screaming again. 
when he said, so what's the story? What did you tell him? I, I don't think I gave him a reply. I don't remember giving him a reply. When he asked you, or he told you, I'm not going going to prison, did he just say that, or did you ask him, well, why, why'd you kill her? I guess he knew. I didn't ask him that. I, he said it. He just said it. I'm not going to prison. Little told on me. My reply, I think, was to his, that you don't want to see me for a while, was I wish I could turn the clock back. I said, I wish I could turn the clock back or turn the time back. And at 1945-24, the interrogator asks, when Wes asked what was the story, what did you tell him? I don't think I gave a reply to him. I don't remember giving him a reply. Another memory lapse. He doesn't want to say what he said because he might implicate himself. So he's got a lot of memory lapses, but that's uh, interesting that he's doing that because he doesn't want to implicate himself in a lot of these things. What you described as a very horrendous nightmare in a lot of ways that you have lived through and saw and been experiencing ever since then. Okay, I understand that. Given the set of circumstances that happened and the fact that you and Wes have been friends for years, although you have not been seeing him lately because of just the way things are, but you guys did grow up together for quite a few years, okay? Uh, you described him taking her out there against her will with her saying, take me back, him grabbing by the hair, forcing himself, raping her, basically killing her, okay? His intention, it sounds to me, was to rape her and to kill her so that she wouldn't tell on him. Basically what you described. Do you know where Cindy is? I'm sure. 2103.05 asked point blank, do you know where Cindy is? He replies, no, sir, while nodding his head, yes. Right there. Verbal message does not match the physical gesture. Deception. Black and white right there. His body's saying, yeah, you know, his, his mind is saying, yeah, you know where she is. But his, his head's going to say, uh, no. I don't know. He replies, no. No, sir. I don't know where she is. His head nods, yes. It's kind of confusing sometimes. But they don't match. So his mind saying one thing, his verbal cues saying another thing. Deception right there. Do you have any idea? I'm trying to come up with it. I can't. I don't. You grew up with him. You've been hunting up there. You've been archery hunted. I've been on foot all around there. There's some, there's some places that you and Lauren know more than anybody in this whole world. You, you and Wes did it. Uh, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm looking at you and I'm saying your name. 2103 
Do you have any idea where she is? Case is down. Another sign of deception. There's some places that you guys know, and I know. I, I, I'm, I'm a hunter. I, I've been places where I say there's no way nobody's set foot in this spot right here. You can be the hero here. I wish you give this. I know that. I know that. But what I'd like to do. That's where I could know that. Down the wrong time. What I'm saying is, there's some places that you and him have been hunting, hiking, and, and just fooling around. You know, really, I've been for so long. I don't know. 2103.35. You'll see him rubbing the back of his neck. Really no question was asked at that point, but he's rubbing the back of that neck pretty vigorously, and that's a stress relief. He can feel the stress building up, and he wants to relieve it, so he's going to self-soothe. So he's going to reach behind there and give himself a little self-massage. Since all this has happened, he has not indicated to you anything that would tell us where he placed that body. I thought he would. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? He saw everything. You know how crucial this is? I know it. I know it. I wish because if I knew man, we would be on here, but we'd be gone. I thought it might have been on the property, but I guess that's been searched, right? I mean, but there's, I know there's, Mines and stuff there, and I don't know where they're at. I know I've you know, heard of them. I mean, I, if I knew where there's certain mine shafts or whatever on, on that property, I would take it. Right? But I'm never really sure. At 210614, they're asking him, he's telling them about he knows there are mines there, but I don't know where they're at. He knows there's mines there, but he doesn't know where they're at. He's contradicting himself, and he's being evasive and vague. Kind of inconsistent right there. 210602, he states, I thought it might have been on the property, but that's been searched, right? So he's trying to get information from the interrogators. That's been searched, right? Like, so you didn't find anything? Hopefully you didn't find anything? And then he's got his palms open. Like, I'm telling you the truth. I have nothing to hide. He just wants to know how much they know. Like, you've already searched those, right? But I'm open. You know, I'm not hiding anything. You'll see the palms turn up. 210611. Again, same subject. I know there's mines and stuff, but I really don't know where they're at. I've heard of them. If I knew where they were, these the certain mines were on the property, I'd take you there. But Wes never really showed me. And right there... At the end of that, at the end of that statement he makes about the mines, he never really showed me. His pitch rate goes really quiet. He says he's saying it all pretty clearly and kind of loud, and then when he says he never really showed me, he almost whispers it. So changing voice pitch and volume, deception cue right there. You know, probably did show him. You probably did know, but he's saying he never really showed me. I mean, I'm trying, trying to think of something. Did Wes threaten um, did, did he threaten you? Did he threaten me? No. Yeah, 2106-34. Did Wes threaten you? This is one of the big ones. Delayed response. 
nine seconds. Again, a listeners listen for watch their stopwatch for nine seconds. You'll see how long that is. And he's thinking, will this help me if I say West threatened me? I got to give a good answer for this. And that's why it took him so long. Is this going to help me? Like, will, they, will I, I play the sympathy card if, if I say, yeah, West threatened me. West threatened me and my family. Maybe that'll help me out. At 2106.35, he repeats back the question. Did he threaten me? When you repeat back the question, another sign of deception, that gives the mind just that extra second or two to clear your mind and say, what am I going to answer? How am I going to answer? What's the best answer? What's the acceptable answer I can give to them? That's why repeating back the question gives you that just that small amount of time to formulate a good answer. And believe me, you can do it in a couple of seconds. All right. You know, when, when someone does that, their mind's in the process of making decisions. How can I answer this? Probably mostly to my benefit. You know, I give them a good answer. How's it going to go? Is it going to go this way? Is it going to go that way? So there's those delayed responses. His mind's racing. It's going, what, what's the best thing for me to say? Why did you lie before? David? Scared. Scared of what? Well, a few things. What are those things? Mark? Well, one of the guys we're talking about. At 21.07.32, why did you lie before? The interrogator asked him. This is asking Lauren. His answer, I was scared. And he says it very quietly. And the interrogator asks him, scared of what? And Lauren answers, a few things. A few things? What things? He doesn't go into any details. And they don't ask him, what things? It's, you know, it's kind of just left it hanging right there. West Sherman time? Yes. You're scared of West Sherman time. And he's your friend. I said we ain't been a bench for a long time. That's why I got so scared Because just on the last way he is, the way he turned, you know, he ain't the same person as was my friend. Are you scared because he's unpredictable? Yes, sir. What else were you scared of? Main thing. What was the other one? I was more ashamed and scared the other way. Ashamed of what? He is scared of him. I think at one time you had mentioned being ashamed of what, Lauren? I mean, I'll do nothing. I mean, I'll say. Do nothing for what? Same. To be able to stop it? Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you have stopped it? I'll try and figure out a better way. Did he tell you how he killed Chevy Wood? No. He just said he killed her? Um, yeah. Why would he tell you? I don't know why. I guess because he, he was, you know, asked me a lot of stuff, and I didn't know. I guess he just had to tell me because I didn't know. 
Did you have anything to do with him, with her? You didn't help him like you did with Cindy? Has he told you he's killed anybody else? No. No? Excuse me. Not, not named in particular. Shiri told me one time he killed 24 people or something. I don't think you want to go there, Lauren. I don't, I really, I really, and I understand why. But I think you have knowledge of some other homicides that he's done. And at some point in time, maybe not right now, you know, and I'm not going to push you. Okay. It may be very advantageous for you to spend a couple of hours of your life to make sure that the truth comes out about the evilness inside of this guy. I probably one of the only people that really knows. But I told you, you know, I told you, I just wanted you to just, you know, stop him myself, you know. Wes is making comments about you. Yeah. Things such as, you know, hey, hey, Lauren and I have hunted just about everything, including the ultimate game. You know what that ultimate game is. There is no ultimate game for him. He's implicating you. What I foresee here is that when we haul Wes in here, he's going to pin it on you. No matter what he's holding over your head, it's going to come out. Finally, we asked Mike to watch Wesley Shermantine's interview on March 18, 1999, the day after he was arrested. Shermantine is set in the corner of a police interview room. He's wearing a yellow and black hooded top with a dark top underneath that has a yellow and blue pattern. He has dark hair and a mustache. He's being interviewed by Tony Cruz. You know, I just want to start off with him. The guy's got a stone face. His body shows no movement. And that in itself can be an aversion behavior. So the whole time he's talking to them, he barely moves. There's a few times we'll get to it. But the whole time, he's very one position, stone face, and he doesn't move a lot. And this can be, like I said, an aversion behavior. He's got it. He's going to say only what they ask, and he's not going to get into a lot of details. You tell me, what are the possibilities of Cindy's blood being in your trunk? I don't know that it is Cindy's blood. We're telling you, it's 169 million to one. 
And I don't know how it got in there. It's your car. Yes, it is. You have to make a decision in your own head to decide whether or not you really want to come forth with whatever happened if you're not responsible. If you're responsible, you know what, you know, there's not, there's, you know what I'm saying? If I had something to do with Cindy's disappearance, I would have been gone a long time ago. Are you afraid of anybody out there, somebody threatening you? No. So let's go back that night. What happened? I stopped by Lauren's house. And as Ole said, he went to town. Showed the bar. Uh, they said he wasn't there. She called again, they said he wasn't there. She called back, get the phone to me, and he got on the phone. And he told me he was over there drinking shooting pool. Come on over. So I went over there. At 8.01.37, they asked him, what happened last night? Again, just like Lauren, delayed response. Almost eight seconds. Again, he's trying to think what he can say. What would, I wonder what Lauren said. What should I say? Are they going to contradict? So I have to say a good answer. I have to come up with a good answer. 801-46. His answers seem scripted, almost well-rehearsed. Now, scripted and well-rehearsed answers are a sign of deception. He's rehearsed these answers in his mind. He's got the timeline down. And in some of them, they're very specific. So, for instance, he, said he, he almost gives bullet points instead of telling a story. So he says, I stopped by Lauren's house. His old lady said he went to town. She called the bar. He said he wasn't there. She called again to say he wasn't there. They're bullet points. He's not telling a story. And they're very, he's almost robotic when he says this stuff. Like, I've, I've rehearsed this. Here's my timeline. This is what I'm going to tell him. And that's what he does. Cindy and uh, the one guy came in around uh, 12.30, maybe 12. And uh, they sat in the middle ways of the bar. Fred was still there because me and him was talking. Lauren was sitting behind us at a table. He went over and uh, shot full with uh, that guy, whatever his name is, her boyfriend, and uh, talked to her. Then uh, Fred left. I was seeing karaoke with uh, Pam. And then Cindy and him left. And the karaoke, well, karaoke wrapped up. Cindy and him left. And I told Tex Sheffield. I don't know what they left in, what they were driving or anything. And Lauren and Pam were standing outside the bar there when they uh, walked out together home. They left, Lauren came back in and Pam. Then we had a couple more drinks and getting close to closing time there. We closed down the bar and we left. And then? They got my car, 
turned around because by park was headed towards Stockton. So they came down Flood Road. I turned around, started to head back up the hills because that's where I was headed. And uh, me and Lauren already talked about me staying the night at his house, you know, because he'd been drinking so much. So I had to turn around and go back down Flood. When I started down the road, see his bike didn't start because the light didn't come on. Now it was no further than, oh, maybe the church right there. It's on the left-hand side. By the Warren's house? No, no, the church on uh, from where the bar was. Oh, all right. I turned around, went back. Pam was out there trying to help him push start his bike. She went back in the bar. I helped him try to push start and everybody start. We pushed it over. Well, he pushed it over behind the pizza parlor and left it over there at the Quonson hut. I gave him a ride home. Get to Lauren's house, and what do you do at Lauren's house? We go into the garage, well, this side door of the house, and there, and I crashed out on the floor, right there. Earlier you mentioned Lauren. Lauren might be responsible for Cindy's blood in your trunk? I didn't say that. Okay. I don't know. I thought that's where you were going. I can't blame no one. Because I don't know. At 8.05.43, you're talking about Lauren being responsible for Cindy's blood in his trunk. And he says, I can't blame no one. I can't blame no one. And he turns his palms up. I'm being honest. I'm being open. I'm telling you the truth. Because I don't know, then he says. Memory lapse. I don't know. And then he gazes down right there. Memory lapse, gazes down, sign of deception on Sherman Tine, right there. Sign of deception. Pretty uh, textbook, uh, black and white. I don't know, and I'm going to look down, because I'm not telling the truth, and I don't want to make eye contact with you. Is there somebody else involved? That night? The fact is, Wes... I wish I'd never stopped that bar that night. Well, you're not the only one. There's, so do we. We'll be here right now. Everybody else. The scenario is this. Cindy's blood is in the back of your car. No question about it. It's proven scientifically. Lauren is responsible, and you're just trying to help your childhood buddy. Trying to protect him. If that's what you're doing, if you, if you want to, you want to go down the boat. I'm not trying to help him. At eight oh five forty nine, they ask Sherman Tine, was there and was there somebody else involved that night? Delayed response slash no response. He doesn't even give a response. The interrogators didn't even ask like. To ask him again, hey, didn't you hear us? We asked if anybody else was involved. There was no response, and they just moved on. It kind of blew my mind. I'm like, why didn't you ask him again? Like, snap out of it. You know what I mean? Has he threatened you in the past? Or threatened a lot of people. Well, has he threatened you? Yeah, he's pulled a gun on before, too. At 
they ask him, has Lauren threatened you? Another one, delayed response, almost 10 seconds long. And again, count those on a stopwatch to see how long you can think of a good answer for that. And that's just what he's doing. If there's something that happened that night, you have to tell us now. It's as simple as that. We can't make it any simpler for you. If you lied in the past, I don't care about the lies. I want the truth. But what happened that night? There's blood in your car. There's a simple explanation. He knows it. I know it. It's there. Take the opportunity. Nothing is said is wrong. It's 0831, and you, you said you wanted a lawyer present? Mm -hmm. At 8.31.49, this is when he lawyers up, moves away from the interrogator, crosses his arms, and gazes down. It's called a blocking and crossing behavior. He's shut off, he lawyers up, and he doesn't want to talk anymore. It's a sign of deception, a blocking and crossing behavior, but he's not going to say anything else. He's done talking to them, and they note the time, and that's the end of his... Uh, that's the end of his uh, interrogation. And I wish they had more with him, but that was the only one. So, like I said, his whole body language, his whole posture sitting there, aversion. He doesn't want to talk about any of this. It's delayed responses. He doesn't want to say the wrong thing. He's going to think of a better answer. We found the analysis of these interviews fascinating and hope that you did too. Having someone describe their use of words, their actions, and their overall behavior makes listening to these and watching the videos even more interesting. To finish off, Mike did a little summing up for us of what he had seen. And it's almost like what I got from the two of these guys, they're just playing each other. He wants to blame him. Lauren's playing the sympathy card. He was scared. He's saying, yeah, he threatened him. You know, they're just going off each other. I'm going to blame him. He's going to blame me. So, but uh, I will wrap this up uh, and say that I believe through all Lauren's um, indicators and his, his memory reanimation, his memory lapses, convenient memory lapses, um, he was equally involved. They were both partners. You know, they both knew what the other one did, but they were just at the end. They wanted to get off maybe on a lighter sentence if each one blamed the other. I don't know. This is just my opinion. But just the way they were acting, just their indicators, everything I read, everything I observed, that's pretty much the conclusion I came to. And it's too bad that the interrogators weren't more 
educate or informed back then about all these signs of deception and stuff. Um, I think it could have gone a lot more in detail and got a lot more results from the interrogation. But, um, you know, it just, it's, it's kind of pretty obvious the way they're playing off of each other, you know? Yeah. He threatened me. I threatened him. Yeah. I didn't do anything. I just watched. Come on. You know, any, I think any person seeing someone assaulted and murdered and beat or whatever, whatever he did would have jumped in or something, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And all the, all the denial flags, you know, I didn't do it. Honestly, you know, you want me to sign my name in blood, you know, I'm proving to you, I'll do that if I have to, because I didn't do it. You know, it's just over the top stuff, you know, and that, and most of, most of Lauren's stuff is, his deception cues anyway he's got some stress going on and a lot of those aversion cues but Mm -hmm. you know he's you know definitely a major player in this whole you know missing people murdered yeah it's just it's just too bad you know and it's just it's just too bad i mean these guys are just it's sad for these families. Right. And, you know, Wes is where he should be. And, you know, I believe that, you know, whatever was going to come about by, by Wes, you know, showing them where the bodies were and telling them Lauren did it all. It was Lauren's burying ground that, you know, Lauren was getting all, you know, was I don't want to go back to prison because, you know, uh, Wes will get me or whatever. And I'm just going to take my own life. You know, I'm not going back there. I'm not going back through all that crap. So I'm ending it now rather than go through that. That's what I think. I want to say one more thing about uh, Sherman Tyne. You know, I would definitely put him in a, in a category as a psychopath. The guy shows no, shows no feelings. Like he can just talk about anything and not show any, any stress, not show any, any fear, not show any, you know, just, he's just blank. It's just like on that. It's just, just my observation. I'm, I mean, I, I don't personally know the guy or anything I would want to, but, uh, yeah, he's definitely not all there. Absolutely. We want to thank Mike for his time and for the fascinating insights. In the next episode, we will be starting to look at Wesley Shermantine's trial.